You may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech Ramble, but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just PropTech. So we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name, The Measure Podcast by Metricus. Just like the last series, there'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Today, we're joined by Selma Kiali, Head of Innovation for Eldar Properties, and we'll be covering the productivity pillar again. Selma, would you like to introduce yourself, please, and let everyone know who you are and what you do across Eldar? Of course. Thank you for having me, Michael. Um, so in a nutshell, I am someone who's passionate about creating value for people. And um, this can be for either organizations or regular customers. It can be through crazy moonshot opportunities or simple incremental improvements that can create long-term impact, whether for people or organizations. Um, my experience for the past 15 years has been centered around corporate innovation, incubation, acceleration, startup building, investment into startups, building platforms, and more importantly, which is often neglected, governance that enables that exponential growth for organizations. I currently lead the Innovation Corporate Division within Aldar Group in Abu Dhabi, which is the main real estate developer and asset manager in UAE. In a nutshell, Michael. So you're not you're not you're not busy at all, Selma. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining again. I know you're a very busy lady, given the work that we do together. But uh, I, I did want to have you on, given your role and all the things that you cover off. So we'll get straight into the questions. So we we're covering productivity and the main part of that for us on this podcast is talking about indoor air quality and the effect that that has on people so first question number one is is how do Eldar uh, and how do you approach indoor air quality across your properties and the projects that you're starting to do within the region right so my division's role is to find the creme de la creme if we may call them of companies especially mature startups who operate in the space the prop tech and construction tech space. And this includes indoor air quality and smart building solutions. And it is important, I think, to consider that smart building projects are not limited only to commercial buildings and that these type of projects can span across all types of buildings. For example, within Aldar, we implement these solutions across our retail assets, schools that we operate, be it also residential and hospitality, in addition to commercial buildings. So, in fact, we're seeing more now than ever solutions that can be implemented outside and around the buildings where their data is being captured and analyzed uh, within the buildings themselves. And from what you've seen so far, have there been, we, we look at indoor air quality, has there been any positive changes or results from the rollout of the solutions that, that, that are going across your, because there are some in retail, commercial and residential. Have you seen any positive uh, changes or movements in, in that space? 
Absolutely. And I think, Michael, we wouldn't be on this call or podcast if we, we didn't, right? The value add is, is huge. It's creating efficiencies, reduction in energy usage, improvement of well-being, definitely increase uh, in productivity, safety and security. Also, it helps us track the asset performance. Honestly, the list goes on. And ultimately, this improves the asset valuation, which does help the asset owner and operator make informed decisions that are backed by data about the assets. Yeah, I think more and more and more, there's lots more information coming out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you read it, whether you read, you know, we listen to other podcasts or you look at other things companies are putting out, the data is key for asset owners and landlords and tenants and occupiers to have so they can make informed decisions, right? So really, really important. You, you mentioned something earlier during your introduction that uh, has prompted this other question because it, I think it's really important for people listening who either are starting their journey or haven't started their journey but want to understand what they should do. So what is the importance of setting clear success metrics at the start of a project, whether it's smart building, digital building, or, or, or rolling out some type of integration in, into spaces? I, I think it's absolutely crucial. Honestly, I think that if I can take a few steps back, I think that innovation is great. And, and it's great to see a lot of companies embarking on this journey today. But whenever wanting to implement a solution or a new innovation project, if you want to call it innovation, there needs to be these success metrics. There needs to be KPIs to be measured. And if they're not existent and not present, even if the pilot concludes with or that project concludes and it's fine, then how can we show the value that's being created for the corporation? So I think this discussion needs to happen very early on when deciding on the, the solution itself. What are the two to three variables that are or, or key metrics that are absolutely crucial for this project to be deemed a success? Is it an improvement of quality? What are some, some indicators that you can think about, that the company can think about, um, that can measure that? Sometimes it's not so, you know, um, clear. Uh, sometimes we need to be smart about it and maybe be more creative around our measurement, but there's always ultimately something to measure. So this supports the case for final uh, next steps for scalability. For uh, for example, we've worked with over 25 um, startups last year. And of these who had very clear success metrics, we were able to scale across the portfolio. For those who were nice to have, it's very easy to kill those kind of projects afterwards because there's no tangible, measurable value. And when you're doing it within Aldar, having worked closely with, with you and the team, you have key stakeholders as well assigned to this, don't you, within the business so that they, as well as you saying, right, we found these startups, you then assign them to key sponsors within Aldar so that there are metrics and KPIs that can be delivered. Because I think if you if you don't have that, that that's, as you said, if, if you, you just say, here's a great startup, they do this, but there's, there's not, you can't tie it back to an owner or a stakeholder within the business. It becomes very hard. How, how do you... How do you go about getting stakeholder buy-in, given you're talking about innovation and startups? How do you get stakeholder buy-in from the start and then post, uh, you know, innovation three months trial? How, how do you how do you get that buy-in? How do you keep those people and stakeholders engaged? In a very difficult way. <laughs> <laughs> um, change change is, is difficult. People resist change. It's in our nature. And big organizations are designed to create this repeatable 
Their business model is a repeatable, successful business model. This ensures their survival and sustainability as a business. And innovation is absolutely the opposite of that. It's breaking that mold. It's bringing new ways and improving the ways that we do business. And with that, there is obviously an innate resistance. However, the way we have tackled this at Aldar is by finding the champions, the 10, 20% of people who are willing to try who are always eager, enthusiastic to do things better and sort of work with them as our influencers and champions of innovation. Now, when working with the stakeholders, absolutely crucial to identify, let's say, five, ten of your stakeholders that you will be connecting with regularly to showcase these different solutions that you come across as a corporate. And when meeting with them, it's important to understand even ahead of that meeting, what is this division's pain points? I mean, it's, again, nice to have a nice-to-have solution and to bring it to the table for a discussion. But if you don't understand the business unit or the stakeholders' pain points, then you're not really solving a crucial issue. So understanding that, understanding their KPIs as a, as a business unit helps us uh, track down these startups that will resolve this challenge and match them efficiently to these business units. And prior to that first meeting, we actually run a couple of meetings with the startup itself to try to understand their solutions more thoroughly, to even help them structure their picture presentation, to customize it for Aldar. Um, so it's not just a general discussion, but actually they have maybe honed in on one of the assets and developed a business case for that. So that when they come to the meeting, they're prepared to answer these questions. So absolutely crucial to your point. Actually, my next question, you've just answered very succinctly. So so, so all the background and all of the information to make sure it's targeted at Aldar, I think, is one of the key points. So for people if it's a bank, it's how does it increase the productivity in a bank or space utilization? If it's, you know, one of the projects we talked to you about for your facilities and operations teams was how do we reduce the man hours to uh, read energy meters? How do we make that more efficient? So, yeah, I think key concentration and uh, almost more legwork up front than during the process, right, to, to make wow. sure that it's, a, it's a success. Absolutely. I think the tie-up, I mean, we spend a lot of our time creating these uh, marriages. We're like a matchmaker with the business. And our role is to screen ahead of time, be that filter to ensure that these companies that are coming through the funnel are vetted, are successful. Uh, there is a potential. The, the founding team is, is serious about scaling into the region if they're not already in the region. And that they have also thought through maintenance and mitigation because if they're scaling into the region, have they established a network of partners uh, in case of, of implementation or operations? All of these questions are very relevant and it's important to tackle them head on. Cool. Yeah. Perfect preparation prevents piss poor performance is a saying that I think that I've heard before, but that's, that's, that, that's all of the above. So I, I've, I've got another one here, which kind of follows on quite well. So what are the challenges and frustrations of proving a return on investment specifically around indoor air quality projects? Because that's always a tricky one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with indoor quality, we know that there's a lot of research that's out there. And the research is done by, you know, big, established, reputed, uh, reputable organizations like Berkeley and others. Now, we know, for example, that there is an ideal temperature to be productive. I think it's somewhere between 21 to 22 based on these studies. And anywhere that's higher than that, the productivity starts decreasing. So those numbers are there. But the problem with these kind of solutions is that you need to monitor productivity. So how do you do so with, with work that is more of a 
desktop job, it's not very easy to, to monitor that. Maybe it's more easy. It's easier when it comes to manual tasks. So it's not necessarily always very easily measurable. And yeah, to your point, it can be difficult and frustrating. However, that's why we typically, with the air quality solutions, for example, our work together through Metricus, uh, it's not, we, we've not looked only at temperature, we looked at the quality, we looked at um, the pollutants, uh, the humidity, the temperature as well, of course. Uh, and with all of that tied up together, then if there is, we're, we're making sure that we mitigate these different challenges that these monitors are spotting for us and alarming us of, then maybe we can collect data over six months or 12 months. So it's a long-term play rather than an immediate reaction. Um, and then, for of course, there are very um, clear, simple solutions that are not necessarily, doesn't have to be tied up to an ROI like security or understanding where people are, um, their occupancy level and location within a building for safety reasons in case of a fire or others. So some of these are mandated and required um, from a regulation perspective and others are, are nice to have. But I think with air quality, we know now that Post-COVID, having been through that, it is off the top priority for most organizations. And understanding that is enough of a trigger for people to consider this, as well as obviously energy saving when it comes to temperature and others. So I, I guess following on from that, the and, and I think you've said it in part of that, that answer just then, but you don't always have to prove an ROI or financial returns. How, how do you think Alda will do this in other ways. So, so you've you just said it's important, and everyone post COVID has become an indoor air quality expert. Prior to COVID, no one knew what PM two point five or PM ten was, but now everyone knows what dust and dust particles are. Yeah. So, beyond the ROI, how? And we are talking to your team, but how? What are the discussions you're having internally about why this is important and why you should continue to do it? Because that's that's not a hard and fast financial return for Alda. So, so what are the discussions you're having and what, what other pieces are important for you and Munam and others? Yeah. So, so when it comes to, uh, if we're referring only to air quality or are we referring yeah. to digital space? So, uh, okay. so air quality for this at the moment, yeah. So for air quality, I think it's, uh, for us, it is definitely, as we said, um, the well-being of the employees, but also the well-being of, of our dwellers, of our communities. So we're not looking only at Aldar, for example, building, um, office building. We're looking at the schools, considering how this will impact students and their performance within schools. As you know, Aldar operates over 29 schools. Um, how do we ensure the safety of these students and the comfort um, you know, of the parents, knowing that their children are going somewhere safe? All of these are very crucial points for us. Now, as an ROI, um, we have actually gone above and beyond just a simple ROI, but also considering value creation. So we have developed a framework for economic value measurement that tackles over 25 variables. So yes, ultimately, it's nice to tie it to a financial figure, whether it's cost saving or revenue generating. But in some instances, the initial variable that is tied back to that is not a, a financial figure. It could be um, repeat customers. It could be turnover of employees who don't you know, resign, or uh, it could be students not doing so great on their exams. This could be, for example, tied up to temperatures if the temperatures are too high or too low. Again, we, we consider things like energy consumption, um, CO2 measurement, and all of these that tie back to our goals for ESG. So for us, 
air indoor quality and actually outdoor quality to a certain extent and the temperature around that is absolutely crucial for the well-being of all the dwellers and it does hit our goals of ESG which if you want to think about it you could even ultimately tie it back to green financing or a sustainable credit and all these other cool metrics that are being designed now to support and encourage um, big corporations to take on these initiatives that don't have immediate financial return. Yeah, it's th- that, that's a very interesting one. I mean, we, we were just talking to uh, a financing firm the other week who came to the office to understand what we do. I mean, they wouldn't take it as a service themselves, but the people that they are lending money to, they were saying, right, what, what is your ESG strategy? What are you doing around energy and indoor air quality monitoring in buildings? How are you going to prove that you're, you've got a sustainable asset. You, you, can't, you can't just say it anymore. You know, D, who was it, DWS or someone who at Deutsche got done for greenwashing not long ago. So they were very interested in understanding how it ties back for them lending the money because when they lend the money, they're being scrutinized of who they're lending money to these days. So the, the ESG piece, uh, I imagine, well, well, it is getting bigger and bigger, but I imagine it's going to get bigger and bigger and become more and more important over the next few years, especially when you're talking about refinancing and, and you know, remortgaging properties and buildings and projects. Absolutely. And as well as as the regulation coming in, right, the laws and regulations in different countries and mandating that, it's it's absolutely crucial at this point. We've got one final question, Selma. So this is this is an advice question. So what what advice would you give organisations uh, looking to prove success from a smart buildings project? And this is any smart buildings project. Now, this is not just indoor air quality, but the reason I put this in is because of who you are and what you do, and the amount of organisations you work with, and you have seen success. So, what what advice would you give organisations who are looking to do this and looking to try and prove success? For bigger corporations, I mean, the advice is both for the companies, obviously the startups or or smaller companies that are trying to um, implement their solutions in partnership with these bigger organizations. And then the other advice, the other piece of the advice is for the bigger organizations. I would say, uh, as we mentioned earlier um, during our chat, having clear success metrics and having the buy-in uh, is absolutely crucial, but more importantly, assigning a project sponsor. So once you have your team, it, you could have an innovation team as a corporation, or you might have an operational team who's looking into this. They don't really need to be labeled as innovation team. Um, and if they're considering these solutions, they need to find a sponsor within that business unit um, or that asset that will be um, their supporter and champion for this project. And this sponsor needs to feel like they're empowered, um, that they have, they're liable, uh, and that they own, partially own this project so they can push through with it. And it has to have ultimately a clear value add for the business unit and for the overall organization to proceed with it. Because again, nice to haves are don't usually are not sustainable projects. Yeah. I, I definitely think from a corporation perspective, raising awareness and increasing the education around innovation, around what does it mean to work with a small company or a startup um, and what that entails in terms of changing that red management style. Within Aldar, we've looked at improving our legal agreements, changing, I don't, I say improvement, I mean actually changing them and uh, reworking them to be more startup friendly. Um, looking at our financial um, payment plans or our financial obligations, sometimes when it comes to our 
smaller companies when wanting to execute a project. If it's a big scale project, there is a liability there. So really reducing all this risk and making it more startup friendly. Again, when looking at procurement, that's another important um, aspect. Procurement is a lengthy process with, within big organizations um, and streamlining this process and perhaps even avoiding the tendering process against bigger organization is necessary because you cannot compare a small um, startup and against uh, versus a really big organization that's been established and has 10 years of experience or even more. Um, so comparing apples to apples is absolutely crucial. Uh, and so these are some of the things, the measures that we have taken into place and um, as well as policies for uh, incentivizing uh, employees to explore these innovation projects so they're not it's not perceived as an extracurricular activity but it's actually an activity and operation that is necessary for the improvement of the overall organization these are some of the the things to consider uh, when wanting to work with startups yeah and, and I think there's a couple of key points in that in in being being a startup and being going to scale up cash is king right so the flexibility from a big company to be able to pay you up front not all of it but but substantial amount of it helps startups whether they need to procure hardware or some licenses or whatever they need to do that that that's really important because that that can stop a startup in its tracks if payment terms are 90 or 120 days post completion that's there's no way right it's there they're cash drop there's no way you're basically ex executing that company <laughs> yeah exactly exactly Cool. Uh, well, Selma, thank you very much. I do have some quick fire questions that we normally do at the end. So we've got a couple here. So this is this is regarding prop tech. So what's the biggest myth you'd like to break about the prop tech industry, if you could? That's a funny one. I actually thought about it. I would say that property tech or property technology industry is not actually only limited to property as the name suggests, yeah. because real estate companies are looking for solutions that overall improve the experience, right, of the dwellers, the quality of living of its residents, residents, shoppers, students. So any solution that can cater for these dwellers of these properties inside and outside, and it's about the customer experience. So it's not necessarily an immediately property related technology, if that makes any sense. It does. It does indeed. Yes. And, and as you say, that could be outside the building. It could be before they even get to the building, what's going on or what do they need to do? So, yeah, yeah that's good. And um, what's your proudest project or achievement uh, from your time as the head of innovation at, at Aldar? So, honestly, none of these are my own. My achievements is the team's achievement. I have, I'm blessed to have a fantastic team that I work with and uh, each of them bring great experience. So I would say the two projects that we are very proud of is the first being uh, um, a company that is called Address, the Abu Dhabi Real Estate Services um, Company, which is a baby that was born of one of our incubation programs. And now it's a company that has over 90 employees that provides top-notch digital real estate digital services to the residents of Abu Dhabi and even now more so in Dubai. So this is one of the, the projects that we're very proud of because we've seen it at its infancy level and now it's a full-blown company. The second project um, that I'm personally very attached to and feel strongly about is a project that was for students, which we call here in UAE, the People of Determination. 
Um, so children with some challenges, physical and mental challenges. And we worked with a startup that created these boards, Pepsi glass boards that facilitate and make it easier for these children to learn and type and communicate. And some of these children have never done so because of their physical challenges. Um, so that was more of an emotional project to see how the parents reacted and the school. And off the back of that, a lot of more parents wanted to enroll their kids in school rather than homeschooling them who are POD children. I, I saw that actually when we were over there and I was at Albertine Academy, I saw that video running. It is it is quite an emotional thing to watch. It's very cool to see the children interacting the way they've never been able to interact before. I, I, that was that was quite amazing. I'm glad that's going well and is and is and is still going because that was that was seriously impressive. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, but Selma, thank you very, very much for joining us. And I will see you very soon when I come back over at some point. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank cool. you, Michael. Take Thanks, care. Selma. Have a good afternoon. Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to The Measure now so you don't miss anything. Music.